0: Mental health is my wealth, the stress up on the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seeking ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, I so will sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe
1: out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence, the big silence.
0: Welcome, Bobby Goldstein, my co-host for my intros.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Of course. So... I want to jump right into Isa.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: That was a nice talk. Another one of my new best friends.
1: That's right. That's <laughs> right. And I wasn't here for this one, so I watched it. And uh, yeah, I definitely want to meet Isa in person.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let me just—I'm going to read this off because I, before interviewing her and having her on the pod, I told Emily, "I was like, wow, oh, she's smart. I'm kind of intimidated."
1: Mm-hmm. But, but you're she, super smart too. You're just. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You just go about it in your, your own way. <laughs> what, <is> that, what, <laughs> what does that mean? It means like uh you have your own flow to getting results, right? Where Issa is a chemist, uh, thinks she was published at 19. I, I mean, whatever you can check off on uh, your success list, I, I think she's got all those checks covered. Yes,
0: she was named one of Inc.'s 30 under 30, as well as a top 100 female entrepreneur of 2020. One of the 100 MIT alumni in tech in 2021. Isa is a physical scientist turned social scientist. She built Squad, an app, a social mm-hmm. networking app for the next generation social platform, enabling people to easily deepen their close friendships. She focuses on this app to help with the mental health in the arena of social media. She is one of the highest fundraising Black women in America, having raised over seven million from Silicon Valley investors for Squad. In high school,
1: she, this is going to be a long intro. I know. You know. Well, well, yeah.
0: know. Well. So in high school, she fell in love with science and math. And I was like, hmm, I fell in love with skipping school and doing drugs. Oh shit.
1: (laughs) I told you your way of getting results is a little different. It's like the the blow-up hand guy on the side of the road. Like (laughs) that's me. Yeah. Like she was like taking this trajectory like this, and you were like, (laughs) Woo.
0: Okay, so um, in high school, she began working in a college lab as a diabetes chemist and data scientist at Pfizer. She has a BS in chemistry, minor in mathematics from Hampton University, MS in pharmacology from Cornell. ISA was an American chemist society member, a National Science Foundation scholar, and a published chemist, all by the age of 19. You
1: forgot one. What? What? Badass. (laughs) She's a badass. Yeah, I like her vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, that's like, that's your kind of the side of you that I see all the time. Like, there's no holds barred. You just give it to me how it is. And then, I mean, I wish, wish that was, you know, mm, mm. (laughs) it sounded like kind of sexy for a second. But then I was like, but like, I'm getting kind of yelled at a little bit when you do it. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. But I like how she is because that's kind of what I grew up around. It's like, that's who you want to follow. You want to follow someone that's like, you know, taking no prisoners, kicking some butt and believing what she's doing and and being a good person while she's doing it. So I like that.
0: Yeah, but I love this conversation too. Um, Not only social media and mental health, but um, we'll talk about what she went through. With her parents and losing and grief. We talk about grief a bit mm-hmm. um, and losing her father. So it's a really good conversation. And you like her because she's in New York now.
1: Mm. And she's also bringing you skydiving. So that I can't it. wait to see the video. I really <laughs> just cannot wait.
0: Okay. So aside from everything I just listed, she's a trained classical pianist, skydiver, and skier. She skydives multiple times per year. It,
1: she has to do it at least once every 60 days or she'll lose her license.
0: That's right. Mm-hmm. And she's going to send me some places in Austin that we can go.
1: I think she needs to drag your butt and kick you off the plane. Because <laughs> right. otherwise, I don't know if it's going to happen. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, enjoy this episode with Isa Watson. Bye. Right and welcome to the podcast, Isa Watson. How are you? I'm well. How are you, Karina? I'm good. i um, sweating here in Texas, but doing well. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been anticipating and so excited about our conversation because as I'm doing my research about you, I was actually talking to Emily, who you just met. <laughs> I was like, wow, she's unbelievable and really... <laughs> really smart, a little intimidating for me, but I was like so excited to have this conversation with you because you have accomplished so much. You've been through so much. You're doing so much and then also your mental health aspect to everything that you're doing. And Mm -hmm. so I'm excited for this conversation.
2: No, I'm excited too. It's a very important topic and it's something that I am very glad that we are spending time talking about as opposed to just kind of like, you know, putting off to the side. So I yeah,
0: it. Yeah. Well, that's why, you know, I, I found it the big silence because it's the conversations. Not everybody likes to have the conversations, but, um, and sometimes it's uncomfortable, but that is the whole point of it. And I, the other thing I was reading about you is that you're an expert in human connection space. <laughs> and I love that because I feel like we... All need to have more human connection right now mm-hmm. more than ever, so let's like go back. You were raised in Virginia
2: well, I spent elementary school um in Alexandria, Virginia, and my like toddler years there um very heavily between there and Saint. Kitts and St. Thomas. so my family is a uh, petition in the British West Indies, so you know it was Elementary school in Alexandria, then it was middle of high school in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. All
0: right, and so in high school, you loved math and science because I want to start there, like because mm-hmm. I know when I was in high school, I was like, "Don't make me go to chemistry, don't make me do this." But you are a national science
2: favorite topic, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I have a degree. I have two degrees in chemistry. I, I love math and science. Like I, it was the one thing that it, it was a set of classes that challenged me, if I'm being you know honest. I hated history. I was like, what are you guys talking about? Like also, you know we don't seem to learn from our history, so whatever.
0: <laughs> true, um, true.
2: <laughs> but I was a total math and science geek. I was like five grades ahead in math, skipped two grades, and I ended up working in the chemistry lab at UNC Chapel Hill. And that's where I met my childhood best friend. We were our, we were our first each other's first lab partners, and she actually went on to create the Moderna vaccine. So it's like, oh wow. Full, full, uh, full circle.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. And yeah, and by the age of 19, you were like on the National Science Foundation Scholar and you already were a published chemist. Yeah. Like, that's huge.
2: Right. It was, it's interesting too, because like I was, you know, there's so many different aspects of chemistry. It's like, do I want to build drugs? Do I want to, and what kind of, is it like metabolic diseases? That's what I was focused on. And there's cancer, there's neuro, uh, neuroscience. Neuroscience um and there were a lot of people in my family dying from diabetes and diabetes or complications with diabetes and so I was like I want to solve that and I published some work on gluc- glucokinase activators which was an innovative um diabetes treatment so hopefully we'll see it in the market you know at some point but yeah it was a lot of fun
0: so back then being so young going circling back to the mental health space was there a lot of pressure on you with the studies or were you just fully in and you loved it or what was what were you feeling as you were studying?
2: There was both. There was pressures from my parents and there was pressure that I put on myself. So I love my parents. I think they're phenomenal. But, you know, there, there is this kind of like immigrant mentality that me and a lot of my kind of first generation friends have in common. And, you know, I would come home with like a 98 on an exam and my parents would be like, OK, but we're in the two points instead of being like, oh, 98. Great. OK, like we're, like, let's see how you did. Let's look through it, you know. But, you know, I think from their perspective, they never wanted me to be complacent with like, you know, just, just doing well. Um, and then I I think I just started to take that on myself. And what it, what happened is that it was baggage from my childhood that I'm still dealing with today, by the way, I'm better than I was a year ago, five years ago, but I'm still dealing with today where I, nothing was ever enough. You know, mm-hmm. and I never celebrate, celebrated my wins for a very long time because I was like, oh, you know, it's just one of those things. It's it's not enough. You know, I have farther further to
0: go. I, I get that as being an entrepreneur myself. Like you're always like, What's next? Like sometimes my husband's like, When are you gonna stop? I'm like, no, but it's like it's the drive in you. But uh, right. we'll we'll get there. So you graduate, you got your MBA from MIT, mm-hmm. and you go and you work in the corporate world with Pfizer and do incredible things and what made you shift and when was it when you shifted and I, and do you actually mind if I talk about the tragedy that happened okay. Yeah, with your father and how that affected your mental health and I it's okay to tear up or be emotional here I just lost my mother last year and the first several podcasts and interviews I, I cry because you hold on to that Pain and that grief for so long. So I imagine mm-hmm. I, I think you were 25 years old when this happened. I was, yeah. Hmm. And I get a lot of questions about grief and how to move through it and how it changes you. So I'd love to hear from you about this part of your life.
2: Yeah. So I was um, I was at JPMorgan at the time. Actually, I had you know after my science you know life. You know, I got my master's in bio from Cornell, uh, went to MIT, went to J.P. Morgan. And, you know, I the way I describe how I was navigating life was, you know, in, in Central Park, New York, where you have those horses with the blinders on and you're just like, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, next achievement, unlocked, next achievement, unlocked, And, um, you know, I feel like I kind of lost my grounding in that place. So it was a really interesting time to go through that tragedy. But, you know, when I was at J.P. Morgan... Um, You know, I went to the office, seven o'clock, one, like, it was a Friday, actually. Um, And I got a call from my mom's sister on my work phone, on my desk phone. And I was like, that's weird. Needless to say, my parents had sponsored a bus trip for kids to visit Hampton University every year. And this particular year, the bus ran off a straight road, flipped over, and ejected both my parents out the front window. And my dad didn't survive that. And my mom barely survived. Like, I, they didn't tell me for hours if my mom was alive. So just imagine the torture and the pain and the agony that I'm feeling. I'm calling all the state troopers, all the hospitals. I'm just trying to figure out is, is my mother alive also i thought i was in a dream mm-hmm. like i actually literally almost cussed out the state trooper i was like i don't know who you're calling or who you meant to call but like i'm isa watson like i don't you know what i'm saying like i really feel bad for whoever died but like i'm gonna go you know i, I that that's that does this is not me right and so he got quiet for a second and he he, he just kind of let me have my moment and i was like wait what You know, I, I, my, my brain chemistry just like significantly shifted in that moment. And that whole moment literally shifted my life. And to be honest with you, the grief process was tough for me in part because, you know, my mother suffered major injury. So the bus flipped over, my dad went out the front window first and the bus flipped over again. And my mother got thrown out the front window the second time. And my dad was fully under the bus, but my mom was kind of like half under the bus. So the kids jumped out and they were trying to dig out, dig her out from the the ground. And, you know, from an injury perspective, she lost a lot of memory. Um, She lost a lot of, you know, mobility that she's, you know, since regained. But I had to go down to North Carolina from my little cozy job at J.P. Morgan and figure out, okay, who has my mom's electric bill? Who has my mom's, where are my mom's bank accounts? Where are my mom, she didn't remember, she didn't know any of that. I had to piece it all back together for her. And so for me, in the moment, I couldn't grieve my dad because I was too busy and, and just committed to nurturing my mother back to help And So I felt like my grief was delayed. Um and, you know, I, I I wasn't eating um for, for a minute. MIT, my dean at MIT would send me food to my parents' house. Uh, my academic advisor actually was me food to my parents' house because they were like, you need to eat. And so, you know, fast forward to today, it's uh, even though it was like half a dozen years ago, it it's it's still such a process. Um, every year on April 5th, which is the day of the accident, I am like the grumpiest person on the planet. Every day on March 14th, which is my dad's birthday. I am the biggest bitch on the planet. And it's not for anything other than the fact that I'm just in my feelings.
0: Yeah. Your grief turns into anger. And that's just how you... Or your sadness.
2: Sadness. Or your sadness. Yeah. Yeah, Or I would just go to a bar and just like watch some sports and drink some wine, you know, by myself. Yeah. So
0: did that incident... Create a shift in your career and that I might be way off, but I'm wondering where did the shift come from going from corporate world and then going into entrepreneurship?
2: Yeah, it absolutely created a shift. You know, one of the things that my father used to always tell me, he, he said, Isa, you are a blessed girl. So it's your job to share your blessings with as many people as you can where you're on this planet. And when I'm 13, 14, 10, 17 years old, I'm like, okay, dad, whatever. Got it. Heard you. Same stuff you've said before. But it, it really sat with me. It hit me differently when that happened. And it also made me realize that tomorrow was actually not promised. And I I felt like there were a lot of things that I took for granted in life. But more importantly, when I think about where I was in my life at that time, you could look at my life and be like, oh my God, she hasn't made, like she's doing so well. Um, But the thing I was actually missing and completely underinvesting in was my own friendships, right? And the thing that I... Had used to substitute connection with social media, and the reality is that when my father died, you know, had all like before I reactivated my Instagram, had all these followers on Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook, whatever, thousands of people, and that was the most lonely I had felt. And I realized that it was because I wasn't investing in those real connections. And you know, once I started to build more awareness around that, I started to talk about it to my friends and to people, you know, just in my circles. And they were like, really, me too, me too. Like social media makes me feel lonely. Social media makes me feel like, you know, I'm I'm losing connection to the people that I love. And so I, you know, while I had a really great run in corporate America, like I mean, they always asked me to come back. (laughs) I, I just felt like my calling and my purpose had elevated in in big ways that I needed to explore. The one thing I refused to do is live my life with any regret. Mm
1: -hmm. I knew
2: it was now or never. And this was a trend. Social media was at a huge inflection point. People like the depression, loneliness, anxiety, you name it, were going up in numbers. And so I I thought that, you know, given my own personal experience, given my passion about it, given the fact that my parents were significant community um, leaders within Chapel Hill, North Carolina, I was like, you know what, like, this is what I'm going to do. So that shift from JP Morgan to starting squad, you know, which as for one liner is an app that we say is the most fun and easy way for you to talk to your closest friends every day. And it's an audio only world that you build and you curate. Um, And so the shift from JP Morgan to squad was absolutely catalyzed by the tragedy, the personal tragedy that I had experienced and understanding that what my my experience and my my feelings of loneliness were much much bigger than me.
0: Yeah, I want to go back to the personal tragedy and working through that, and then getting to the point where you were creating Squad. But did you go through therapy?
1: Um, yes, and,
2: yes, and no. Um, I I can't I can't say that I was I had the healthiest habits. I completely retracted from the world. I for for six months the only thing I ate every day was a handful of blueberries, a few crackers, and I would drink water. That like, that was my diet for six months every day. But that's and due
0: to your trauma and your... My trauma, my yeah.
2: depression, my yeah. retraction. I didn't, I didn't talk to my friends. I would, I would, I would barely respond to texts. Um, I actually tried a few grief-oriented counselors. They didn't work for me. Yeah. And, you know, I think... I'm in therapy, you know, I have a therapist now and I've been with the same therapist for the last four years. Um, I think therapy is also a big chemistry thing. Mm -hmm. And so what I did in lieu of therapy, I found a few people who were like family friends that I could just really lean on. And they were like very... One is actually a, a psychology PhD, <laughs> you know, so um, she wasn't my therapist by like, I didn't pay her, you know, she didn't bill my insurance, mm-hmm. but she kind of stood in and really, really supported me because I, like my mom was going through her own stuff. My siblings were going through their own stuff. There, there was a selfless part about me that wanted to kind of not pour my own issues onto them, knowing that we're all kind of like trying to navigate the same situation.
0: Yeah. Okay. So then social media, You did you say you deleted your social media?
2: I did at one yeah. point. I, I deleted my Instagram completely. Instagram. Yeah. And I... Because I was just like, oh, I hate it here.
0: I am going on my first vacation in like six months. And I am going to, for the first time since Instagram came out, delete the
2: app for five days.
0: <laughs>
2: <Just Yeah. laughs> You'll be fine. You'll actually feel like it cleansed you. Like if you're like... Yeah doing like a juice cleanse, you'll be like, oh, I feel good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, squat. I downloaded it um, and I invited a few of my friends. So I'm excited to dive into it more. Can you explain more about it?
2: Yeah. So, squat was really born out of the need for people to experience connection. So when you look at social media, it was it was built with the intention of connection, but what it's morphed into is a content platform. That's how they measure their success, right? How many pieces of content can I get in front of you in your feed um, before you close the app? And you know, with Squad, the way that it works, you know, again, is the fun and easy way for you to talk to your closest friends every day you know, content versus connection. Squad's really in the connection space. And it's audio only, right? Um, And we found that audio was a really good medium in between kind of being on camera. Like I just had a a big workout class right before this and I was scrambling. I was like, okay, I got to put on some lipstick and like put my hair down and lay my edges. Um, And then, you know, texting. There's so much miscommunication via text. So with Squad, you know, audio only, Fun and easy, but the three key features is that you know there's kind of back and forth like voice messaging. There's really fun status updates with prompts, so it's like your vibe is like da 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 da. And then there's Squad Line, which is our kind of interactive calling feature. So the phone call hasn't been you know innovated on, and in like I mean probably since we switched from horses to cars. And essentially with Squad Line have you ever looked at someone calling you and you're like, if only I knew what they wanted to talk about. I would <laughs> I'm like, do
0: I answer it? What do they want? <laughs> like, want do so,
2: Yeah. Like sometimes it like triggers you and you're like,
0: why are you calling me?
2: <laughs> right. And so with squad line, you actually have to put it up to a 30 character preview. So it's like, yo, the NBA playoffs last night. or Oh my God, let me tell you about this date. Yeah. Um, and then that shows up as like the call and then you can actually interact during the call. So like, hundred like heart emoji, whatever they float. And so kind of dialing it back up, this is a world that you curate. No one can be in your squad that you don't invite into their squad. In fact, you can't even find people on squad if you don't have their phone numbers. So it's not a place for you to go see like what's what's Kim K talk about today? Or you know, what's LeBron? Like, you know, what was what was he on last night after the game? That's not what this is. This is just for you and your friends. And the funny thing is that A lot of our users tell us that it's like the place on the phone, on their phone, where they actually feel like they don't have to screen for anything. And they love to go there because in your text messages, you get you know, the text from like Bernie Sanders and I'm like, how'd you get my number? And then you get the text from like your boss and your your siblings and your mom who got on your nerves last night and like a friend from 20 years ago. Um, and then same thing with calling. And so the phone the phone just isn't as intimate of a tool anymore. But yeah. the place on the phone where, you know, you go to find your friends and it's like all shits and giggles, that's squad. And last thing I'll say is that most people tell me, they don't talk to their friends on social media. Social media is not where they... They, they're not like demon with their friends all day, you know. It's just not a place of connection. So yeah, it's
0: it's it, is, it is. You know, social media is a place to take in content. And I'm, you know, I love social media. I've been able to build my brand, tone it up, mm-hmm. a, and our community through social media and Instagram when it first started in 2009, 2010, whenever that was. But um, yeah, and uh, I agree that like texting. It just, your texts are just, I mean, I, I'll get a text from someone 15 years ago and it's like 17 paragraphs, you know? <laughs> so I'm excited to dive into Squad for sure. And then, and you did amazing. And I know um, you raised $7 million in funding, correct? Yeah. <laughs> How did you, I, just for the listeners, because I've had to raise money and we've brought on, you know, private equity partners to be able to grow our company with Tone It Up. But any advice to those who have a dream and execute? I mean, I know it's it's a long list.
2: It's a long <laughs> list. I have to distill it down into the two most important things. One is on the product and the idea you're working on. Find the kind of lowest effort MVP to actually get out there and in the hands of people and then iterate on that. You know, people ask me all the time, they're like, oh, I want to build tech. The first thing I need is engineers. No, the first thing you need to do is scope out what you're doing. And you can actually do that very cheaply with like Figma, with other design tools, right? Hand someone your phone, have them click through the prototype and get their reaction. And then you actually have, you know, proof of, okay, this is interesting to people. Whether it's tech or whatever try to validate the need for what you're trying to do in, in a low cost way and a high kind of iteration, a frequent iteration way, because I, it's very easy to do that. And a lot of people jump from zero to hundred real quick. And that's just not, you know, you'll waste a lot of time like that. And then the second thing is investing in your storytelling skills. You know, it's, it's and I find this with women and and especially minorities as well. They're told this, this lie of like, you work hard, you work hard, and like, it comes. No, 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 boo-boo. You got to actually tell your story. You have to be your own advocate. And then when you're talking to investors, it's really about telling a story that's big and that excites them. Most people don't realize that in the earliest stages, investors aren't investing in your product. They don't don't even think your product's going to be around in 10 years. They're investing in you. YouTube started as a dating platform. Groupon started as a charity donation platform. Slack started as a gaming company. Their earliest investors didn't invest in them because of those products. They invested in the founder. And so the the one thing I also say is don't be afraid to let people know a little bit about who you are. You know, when I talk about Squad and I talk to my investors, I talk about why I created Squad. I talk about the tragedy that I went to. It was a very hard, it was a very, it was very hard to get there and to feel comfortable doing so but um, it, it was just necessary for them to understand who I was as a person. And so I think A, iterate on the product quickly, um, you know, and and low cost, right? B, invest in kind of telling a, a big and, and really strong story around it. And then the last thing I'll say from a tactical standpoint is C, you know, it's really about who you know and who brings you in the room. You know, I probably had 300 doors slammed in my face in Silicon Valley before anyone took me seriously. But once I was shepherded in that little like environment by the right person, then I had opportunities. And so you just have to kind of keep at it and keep at it and keep at it and build your network, but be prudent about it. You know, don't like, I have people email me and be like, oh, can we schedule like a one hour Zoom call? I want to get your feedback and I've never met you before. I know nothing about you. I know nothing about what you're doing. Like be very thoughtful and intentional about how you're you know, navigating this whole people component of networking.
0: So that brings me to, I love your tweet. You tweeted this in March. Twenty of this year, twenty twenty two. You said too many podcasts on how to raise VC funding, not enough podcasts on managing your mental health as a founder. Because you know, what, I
2: caught uh, for that tweet. We what? I caught flack for that tweet from other founders being like, "Why would I?" They like were in my DMs. They were like, "That sounds like males, all men." They were like, "Why would I be? Why would I tell anybody like what my mental health is? Why like no one wants to hear about mental health?" No, like that, I was just like. Okay. If you resonate with it, fine. It's not for you. Just like shut up when you speak to me. Like, <laughs> Well,
0: because I agreed with that because there are so many podcasts of like, you can make seven figures. You can do this. You can found this. It's so easy. It's not fucking easy. And it's not, it's not easy. It's hard work. Like you said, 300 doors slammed in your face before the, the one person. Like that... Even though you you know, you believe in what you're doing and you're doing something good, but you have to have that strength to overcome the rejection. But then also, um, your CEO. That's that title sounds really awesome.
2: Cute, but it's really hard.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so get, do you can you elaborate more on why you tweeted that and maybe your experience on the mental health side from you know, from you being CEO?
2: Yeah, I think being a founder and or CEO is a very, very hard place to be. At the end of the day, the book stops with you. Um, When you have raised venture capital funding, there is an expectation. There's an inherent expectation based on the model that you are going to create a multi-billion dollar business and return multiples of your investors' fund sizes. So, I mean, if you think about it, you're like, oh, this investor invested a million dollars and expects like... Fifty million dollars back, like that. There's a lot that, and some that can happen, right? Um, But I I think that it's a very lonely place. It's like founders. In fact, all of the friends that I've gained since becoming a founder are also other founders (laughs) because there's this there's an extreme loneliness at the top that you have to navigate. You have to deal with. When you're a founder, you people are like, oh my God, you're so, you know, you started out this podcast. You're like, oh my God, you're impressive. But like every day people are telling me I can't do something. Every day people are telling me I'm crazy. There's a mindset shift that you have to have, you know, when you're dealing, when you're going up against the grain, when you're creating something from nothing, when you're saying, hey, this does not exist in the world and I want to put it out in the world. And when that happens, you just get attacked from left and right, and and sideways and backwards, and it's it's very exhausting. And by the way, sidebar, it's not just early stage founders. One of my friends, I, I won't say which company, but his company um, was in the media recently was recently valued at ten billion dollars, and he we had like just a friend to friend catch up like, you know, a few weeks ago, and he said, I said, like, I am just really not feeling like I'm doing a good job." like i just i don't feel great like and i was like that's that that's how you feel today and i hold space for you to feel that way and and i just feel like you know it's there's so much that you know you want to do there's only but so much that you've done and that you can do but i think what's compounded founder loneliness in the last let's call it 5 to 7 years is that social media um, comparison curse. It's like, oh man. So they started the company at the same time that I did, but their value, like three times higher, I must not be doing something right i've I've had those thoughts, too. And then I'm like, I have those thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> like
0: stop comparing. Like, you know, it's uh, one thing I will say but the tone it up, when we started in two thousand and nine, I had a business partner and best friend Katrina. so, we went through the highs and the lows together where a lot of founders are completely alone. And I don't know what that feels like when you don't have someone to share. Because sometimes, you know, I'll even go to my husband and talk and he's like, I I can't relate, you know. (laughs) And it it can be a lonely place. You mentioned a mindset shift. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Can you explain what that is?
2: You have to have a healthy level of no fucks given. Uh Um, when you're a founder, you know, and the thing about it is that everybody's going to have their opinions. There are going to be people who think that you should like, there's some of my investors who have been like, I don't like the way you do updates. Like, I think you should do it this way, that way. And I think you should increase the frequency. And I'm like, okay, let's call him Bob. Okay, Bob, that's a nice opinion of yours. Except that anytime I send an update, you never actually reply back to anything that I've asked my investors to do. So I'm not actually going to over-index to what it is you want my updates look like. And so, you know, I, there's a, there's a level of letting stuff roll off your shoulder. And it's not just from investors. It comes from every angle. There are partnerships that, you know, we, we have tried to seek as a startup that they're like, oh, you're not a big enough company yet. So no, we can't partner with you. Or there are employees that do work for you or that have not worked for you that, you know, um, you know, they have their their suite of opinions and their you know issues or whatever. And so literally, from every angle, you are really just kind of I just like getting the smoke. And I think that there's a for me, you know i've I've been leaning real heavy recently into the I can control what I can control and what I can't control, I'm not going to stress about because I don't have the capacity to do so. And it's not healthy for me. And, you know, from a mindset shift, you know, I think that oftentimes when you're a founder, you're so inundated with literally every aspect of what's going on, all the areas of growth that you're trying to execute on, that you actually like getting stuff out of your brain, getting less things to worry about is actually part of the game. You know, I, I I was telling somebody yesterday, actually, how, you know, for me, I need resets, right? Mm-hmm. I need resets, not infrequently, actually. And the two big things that I, two big activities that I do or engage in a lot to reset are skydiving and skiing. And okay. so Skydiving. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually in training to get my license right now in the U.S. Um, and so, and then skiing, I'm a avid skier. And so, but when I come back from skydiving or skiing, when I tell you like the amount of regrounding, I feel the amount of gratitude, I feel the amount of like refreshed perspective, I feel that's really what it is. And so that mindset shift is that kind of like owning how you think about things, but it's also making sure that you invest in yourself. Like what brings you joy? What resets you?
0: Yeah. I would say as a founder, sometimes you're, you, I've kind of gotten to the point of no fucks given. Like I'm gonna mm-hmm. take care of me if I want to do something, or I'm. The I'm, word no <laughs> is amazing, but um, coming back to that because I think as a founder for so long, it's like I have to be like on the grind, twenty four seven, go go go, and it wears you down. So it's so important that you do take care of yourself, do things that bring you joy, because this is our life and we get to curate it. And I want to go mm-hmm. back skydiving. Where's your favorite place to skydive? And how the hell did you get into it? Because back in the day, I was like, I'm going to skydive in Hawaii. But then I was like, no, no, I'm too scared.
2: You know what? The funny thing, funny enough, skydiving statistically is safer than driving a car on a highway. You know, there are 39,000 licensed skydivers in the US and about 4 million jumps a year. And in the last five years, there there have only been 14 fatalities, you know? Um, And so I actually, I was in Mauritius. And, you know, I have been trying to skydive for a while, then COVID hit, you know, all the things and the things that really build up to like, get your, your, your bucket list kind of, you know, push it out more. And I, when I tell you I loved it, I absolutely loved it. Like, I was like, this is awesome. I want to go again. They were like, no, 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 your schedule is done. (laughs) So I started just skydiving at like any place that I went. But right now, I skydive mostly where I train, and that's um, a, a little bit upstate New York. It's like 80 miles north of New York City, called Skydive the Ranch. But it's the highest drop zone in the U.S. So when we jump out the plane, we're jumping out at 13,500 feet. Most other places, you're jumping out at like 10,000 feet or a yeah. little bit lower than that. But it's like it's literally so awesome. So I skydive mostly there. But in order to maintain currency on my license in the U.S., I have to skydive at least once every 60 days. Or my my license is like they'll expire my license, and I have to go to skydiving school again. And so, I actually throughout the winter, I'm also in Tampa, um, Florida, once a month um, at one of their big skydiving drop zones, so I can actually maintain currency on my license.
0: I love that. So exciting! Wow. And
2: as, you can so- do it though. Yeah. You should
0: I do it. I'm sure I can. I can Google skydive Austin and find you
2: a good <laughs> Emily is over here, like, yeah, let's do it. Group I, trip, yeah, yeah, team dive.
0: Yeah, team dive. <laughs> I love that. And then skiing, and then so you're also a classically trained pianist, right? I am. Yes, <laughs> I love that. See, you are like the epitome of you can do anything and everything. But you and know give, what it was. What.
2: you'll you'll find this story interesting. So my dad was a musician as well. Um, He was an engineer, but a musician. And, you know, I started playing when I was five years old and and training for piano when I was five years old. Fast forward to like three years ago, I was actually preparing for a debut concert at Carnegie Hall, but I had to pull out of it just because I couldn't train the way that I needed to and, and raise at the same time. But, you know, I was such a weird kid. Weird from a like, I was just kind of, You know what, I'm gonna be me. And you might not like it. You might not like it. I'm not gonna do anything crazy to try to fit in with you. I'm not gonna do anything to try to fit in with you. But I didn't learn to express my emotions well until I was an adult. And, you know, again, going back to that immigrant family, my parents were like, girl, you got a roof over your head. You got a nice ass house. You got cars. You got instruments. You shut up (laughs) and just like be happy. Okay. Be content with that because a lot of people don't have that, which they're not wrong. However, it wasn't like holding space for me to express myself or to express like what I was feeling at any given moment. So piano was the first place I learned to express my emotions. And Mm -hmm. I could play a song, you know, I could play like a Beethoven or I could play like a, I love like Chopin's waltzes. I I play a lot of his stuff. And um, my parents could actually tell the mood I was in by the way that I played the piano that day. Because you can, Just build an expression in so many different ways to a song, and so yes, I was a pianist, but it was very therapeutic for me, and it was the only way I knew how to express my emotions.
0: Yeah, I mean, music is very therapeutic. Like even what we choose to listen to and the mood we're in. And I can envision you playing the piano and like having those emotions. I love that talent. So you have a book coming out next spring, twenty twenty three. Very Mm -hmm. exciting. Do we have a title for it yet?
2: Yes. So the book is called Life Beyond Likes, Logging Off Your Screen and Into Your Life.
0: Love it. I'm going to definitely pre-order when it's available. That's exciting. Is this
2: your first book? It's my first book.
0: Congrats. I know um, I just had my third book come out, but it was a memoir, not a tone-it-up book. Um, it came out in April and it's a big accomplishment, and a lot of work goes into that. And uh,
2: congrats on that. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. Any last words to listeners and viewers? Words of wisdom?
2: You know, I, the one thing that I always tell people is that this is your journey to chart, this is your life to live. And I want people to feel so empowered to do it on their own terms. And in doing so, it does take a level of groundedness and a level of authenticity. But I think that we care too much about what others think. Like when I actually started therapy, people were like, are you okay? Like, are you are you suicidal? I just need some therapy and so do you. So like, you know, leave me alone. But, you know, I just, again, like, the idea of just living your life on your terms and, and investing in your own joy for me, that was a much better investment than like investing in my 401k 10 years ago. You know, like it is, it just, it pays dividends in ways that my emotional wellbeing, my heart and my spirit like are just so happy with.
0: Wise words from Isa. This has been fun. I love your energy and grateful that you came on here for this conversation. And thank you so much. And I can I can't here. wait to build my squad out. I got to get on my phone and start inviting more of my friends.
2: Yeah. Now we're excited. We're actually pushing a ton of changes to the app like in the next like week or so. Yeah. Um so yeah, but it's it's going to be exciting.
0: All right, everyone out there, download Squad and I'll I'll hunt you down I said, and make you be on my squad.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Let's do
0: it. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the dot. here's to radical self-love the type of love that will defeat anxiety the type of love that defeats depression this is the one life this is the moment
1: this is the time to dig in to be who you already are the big silence breathe breathe
0: out out the big silence breathe breathe out out the
1: big silence breathe the big silence, breathe, in, breathe out, breathe, in, breathe
0: out. The big silence, the big silence.